0: You're listening to The Main Course, where food is serious business. Listen along for insights, strategies, forecasts and thought leadership from the front lines of food with your host, Barbara Castiglia.
1: So welcome to The Main Course. Our guest today is TJ Shear. We're going to be talking about off-premise and what it means now and the opportunities um, that are available in Off-Premise. So I guess, TJ, just fill me in a little bit on your background.
0: Well, perfect. Thanks for having me on the show, Barbara. I'm happy to be here, and I love sharing information and talking with other operators and brands that are trying to battle through these crazy times. I actually have spent the last 20 years being a speaker and a consultant around hospitality, training, building a team of top performers, uh, and prior to that, I was a VP of field support for Chuck E. Cheese, so I've uh, been in the industry for a long, long, long time. Uh, the last 14 years, I've actually been a, a multi-unit franchisee of Witch Witch Superior Sandwiches. At one point, our group owned 16 stores. I'm now, now down to a, a single location, uh, luckily with a drive-through, so I, I kind of wear two hats. I, I am an operator, and I in my restaurant today, as a matter of fact, as I told you off air. Um, but secondarily, I do a lot of, in the past, speaking and consulting. I always call those the good old days, February of 2020. I used to do a lot of speaking and consulting. Now it's kind of really shifted all to consulting because nobody's doing live events anymore for a while. So uh, I live in this space, and I love sharing. I'm a part of a group called Chart. It's a council of hotel and restaurant trainers. And so I love just finding out what works for operators and sharing that instead of kind of hoarding all the secrets. That's really been my approach.
1: So what we're going to talk about today is a new project that you have a partner involved. So if you can kind of fill me in a little bit on how the two of you connected and this new venture, which is Off-Premise Domination.
0: Certainly. Um, Yeah, we've we've just launched Off-Premise Domination. Dot com. And my partner, Sam Stanovich, he actually is a franchisee of another sandwich brand. But he and I go way back through this training group called Chart. He used to be with the National Restaurant Association. So he was always attending these events and he worked with the sponsors and I've. Uh, Obviously, done a lot of speaking and spoke at the National Restaurant Show as well. So we've known each other for a number of years, and ironically, both he and I were speaking at the same franchise convention in early February. And I was sitting in the back of the room listening to him talk about catering, and I was in the process of writing a catering book. And this is really before COVID kind of exploded. And so after he was done, I said, "Look, you need to co-author this book with me. I've got a great idea to to really." create training materials and a a program everybody can use to build their catering sales. And so we started heading down that path. We got the book done. Catering really took a huge step back due to the pandemic. And so we really, as we worked through with everybody, and we host our own podcast as well, specific to off-premise, it became evident to us that we have this awesome catering content, but not everybody needs that right now. Everybody needs off-premise. And so what we've been doing is really just studying what's working in the industry. We both are operators, so we test a lot of things in our stores. And now the result of that is our our off-the-shelf program, if you will, that people can join and quote you know, really buy, essentially. But not only do they get access to all of our content, but we have office hour calls with them to really help the smaller operator. This is really geared at smaller chains and independents because they don't have the bandwidth nor the money to do what the Panera, Chipotle, Wingstop, Domino's, companies that are just doing phenomenal right now. And so what we've done is study what they're doing, and we want to bring that to the independent operator, the smaller chains, and the franchisees that may not have the ability to get through all of this overload of information in this topic.
1: And when you first started it, what was what was the excitement or the passion for catering that made you want to go on this venture?
0: That's a that's a great question. I in my business have become known as the school catering guy for Witch Witch. I've really just figured out over the years and it started heck 10 years ago when my daughter was in high school band. I I saw her order form come home and I saw week one was company A, and week two was somebody else, and week three was somebody else. And I said to her, I was like, why isn't Witch Witch on this this band order rotation list? Because there was 350 kids in her band, so the orders were well over $2,000. And so I started digging into how we could work with schools, teachers, groups, bands, drama, those kind of groups. And I built a humongous business personally in my own witch witch locations around these things I, I had a store actually do over hundred thousand dollars a year in catering which was about twenty percent of our sales in a brand that's doing a fraction of that i had a store do thirty two thousand dollars to cater one band event over a few days and this is a store that did twelve thousand dollars a week and so for me i saw the incredible opportunity out there and so it worked for me personally that was my niche. I started actually helping other franchisees get catering orders, because everybody believes in this stuff, but you have to have time to do it. You have to know how to do it quickly, and and I approach it as a kind of like a professional fishing guide. I've fished, and I, I'm terrible at it, but if I go out with a professional guide, I always seem to catch something, and so that's what we've tried to do. Sam has done a phenomenal job around business catering, pharmaceutical reps, and so the two little expertises or niches that we had within the industry blended well together. And so we started helping other companies generate catering leads and, and building their business by going out and actively getting them catering orders. And so that's where it all started.
1: So how did the pandemic kind of change the nature of your plans and um, and your growth plans?
0: It, it changed it. Good and bad. The first thing was catering took a huge hit, and even this year, as an example, this school year, um, all the band contests that we normally do, they're all virtual, so there are no needs to feed people. So on one hand, we've seen the catering orders dramatically decline, both in the schools and the lack of people going into the offices and holding gatherings, which obviously they can't do these days, and that's going to be for quite a while down the road. What it what it did though was flip the switch on off-premise and figuring out how to do curbside pickup off-premise drive-through in some some cases and, and really have to get creative because whether you call it catering or group ordering there are still people ordering food everybody's at home they're sick of eating at home and if they can't go out into restaurants they have to get the food delivered to them or come pick it up and so that's where we started to put our focus, but we've never taken our eye off catering as well because even though schools are not like where they were last year, I still have for my clients probably, I don't know, four to $10,000 a week going on with some football teams that need food. Now it's moving into basketball and the winter sports and teachers that want to do appreciation days or get meals delivered into their schools, and there's still pharmaceutical reps ordering. There's still businesses ordering. I got a $200 catering order in my restaurant this morning. So there's still those things going on. The pandemic itself just accelerated what was already happening with customers ordering through third-party delivery, doing frictionless online ordering, digital off their phone, and picking it up or getting it delivered or picking it up curbside, it just accelerated all the stuff that was already happening.
1: So give some general tips or ways that restaurateurs can now optimize their business for off-premise if they haven't been doing it.
0: What I recommend everybody do is is kind of think of this like a maze. And when you were a kid, you figured out quickly – I don't want to start at the beginning of the maze. I want to start at the end of the maze. Because when you start at the beginning of the maze, you go down a path, you hit a roadblock, you have to go backwards, try another one, and hopefully that path works. Versus starting at the end of the maze. And, and what I mean by that is, what does your perfect drive-through, curbside, pickup, third-party delivery, you know, what does that experience look like for you? What is your off-premise strategy? And then you work backwards from there. Some stores can't do a drive-through, I get it, but maybe a pop-up drive-through. Some stores can't do curbside, but maybe they have to ask their landlord to get dedicated parking spots. So we recommend that they look at the whole picture and kind of design that fully loaded Lexus, if you will, and then work backwards to see what will work for their brand, and that's what we help guide them through. Some of the basic things you need to have is you have to have online ordering or the ability to order via mobile. There's been a plethora of companies that have exploded to help others do that. There's there's certainly ones that are geared at large chains and certainly ones that are geared at independents. You have to be on the third-party delivery apps. I know we all fight it because of the fees they charge, but you have to have that brand presence for the customer. The key to to then, as an operator, is to take the orders that you get from a third-party delivery company and put an incentive inside the bag, and the bag should be tamper-evident and... and it, closed so that the drive through person or the delivery person can't get in there and we show to the guests that our, our food is tamper evident and it's been sealed since it left the restaurant. But I put coupons or incentives in there to tell that customer to order from us directly so that I, I don't have to pay the 20, 30% fees to third parties. Um, the other thing that we recommend to people as well, and this, this is kind of like, hey, the 1990s or the 2000s are calling, but we have to use QR codes to, to have touchless menus or contactless ordering in a lot of cases. And we also have to answer the phone because the phones have started ringing off the hook. And so what we suggest to people is setting up a very simple, very inexpensive phone tree that you can do online or with your existing phone provider. You don't need any other hardware so that the the customer, when they call, if it's for an order, it goes into the restaurant. But if it's for, hey, I'm at curbside outside, or are you open for dine-in? because of all the restrictions, you can funnel some of the phone calls to be answered via a machine versus having to be answering those in the restaurant when you're trying to take orders. So it, it's, it's really scary, even as a consumer, I have a, a Mexican restaurant that we like to order from. They don't have online ordering. And then the other day I had to call eight times to try and get through to somebody and they, their message simply said, hey, we're so busy right now, call back later. If you leave a voicemail, You're not going to be answered, and we're not going to take your order. And I'm sitting here thinking, as hard as it is to get business right now, that Mexican food restaurant lost my business because after the eighth time, and I don't know how many people would call eight times, um, I had to call somebody else. And they don't have online ordering. They have no way for me to order simply. I'm sure it's frustrating for the restaurant. So it's really try and make it as easy for the guest as they can to order. There's a lot of software out there that's very, very inexpensive nowadays to even do curbside so that when a when a car pulls into your lot, you can actually have a tablet dinging if you have the right software so you know they're in spot number two. You don't even have to have them call into the restaurant because, again, that's one more step for the customer to do. Somebody has to go out there. If they haven't paid, you start running into... PCI credit card compliance laws where you could automate all of these things and those are some of the basic things that I think restaurants need to do but even prior to that first and foremost they have to provide a safe sanitized environment for the customer it has to be contact less not free of contact but just less contact easy for the guest and and really they need to promote what they're doing to the consumer around safety and sanitation around the pandemic so that the customer trusts us because that is the foundation of an off-premise success if you don't have that you're not going to get any orders
1: you've mentioned uh, a number of times about the frictionless experience and you know being very guest-centric so what are some things that guests are saying that that they want and that they need from from a restaurant now
0: you know it's everybody's had to redefine their guest experience, and if they haven't, they should. Because if if you're a full-service restaurant, gone are the days of host, server coming up multiple times. Nowadays, people don't want that. They don't want people hovering around their table. They don't want that server keeping to come up back and forth. Or if they go into a quick service or a fast casual restaurant, they don't want to have to interact with a the cashier. They don't want to have to go interact with somebody to get their food or have their food delivered at the table. So the point the operators need to look at is look at your restaurant service experience and where can you remove contact and remove friction for the guest. And what I mean by removing friction is, as an example, if I wanted Chipotle like I did the other day, I order on the app, they have a shelving rack that I can walk into and pick up my food without ever having to talk to one of their employees. As a customer, my food is ready. That is contactless and frictionless. You you compare that to when I have to call in or I have to go in to pay and get my credit give my credit card to them or somebody has to come out to my car take my credit card run back inside to process the payment where uh, I have to go in and place the order at a cashier and those kind of things it's really the customer wants ease of operation minimal contact due to the pandemic and they want things ready quickly and fast and those that are doing it well are clean in house and those that are not are going to go away even quicker than they were.
1: Who are your target clients and how are you reaching out to them?
0: Our target clients are the independent restaurants that again when they they get overloaded with all this information and and how do I get all the technology pieces to working? So that's that's target number 1. Target number 2 are the smaller restaurant chains, the chains that don't have the infrastructure, often they're very heavily franchised, so there's not a lot of support or not one person that that understands how to put all these pieces together. And when I say all the pieces, I'm talking whatever menu changes you need, packaging changes. As an example, uh, we have a, a partner of ours that has this wonderful patch that sits inside of like a styrofoam or a plastic container to pull all the condensation out of uh, out of the food in there so that you don't get soggy french fries or soggy wings. And, and the average person off the street doesn't know where to get that product. They probably don't even know it exists. And so we help these the chains that are the smaller ones in size guide them through and, and you know their marketing person or their it person may be in charge of takeout but having to understand the operational impacts getting guests feedback guest feedback has changed dramatically from what it used to be we used to be able to give them a simple receipt but now when all your business is is going out the door online you can't touch a table and do a check back in many cases so we have to have a way to find out how our orders were, because accuracy is critical to these, these ordering uh, online or taking it home to eat. And so you have to be able to put all those things together. And that's what we're doing for the independent. We kind of have an off-the-shelf program with a guided uh, assistance that we provide. And then for the, the smaller chains, and when I say smaller, I'm talking 10 to 300-ish, maybe four or 500 restaurants, depending if they're all franchised and how much support they have at the office. But we will guide them through the whole process to find the best solution for them to drive off-premise sales.
1: How has the pandemic changed the nature of off-premise? I mean, now we're talking about things, e-commerce and having products. Um, and, and how do virtual slash ghost ghost kitchens kind of fixin- fit into that mix?
0: Yeah, you know, it's it's really changed. When I say it's changed a lot of things, it's it's really accelerated what was already happening. The guests want more convenience. They want to be able to order when they want to order. They want to be a- able to order from wherever they want to order, maybe not device specific. They want to make it easy. Ghost kitchens and virtual restaurants were around before the pandemic. What, what we've seen happened due to the pandemic is really it allows a company like Brinker Chili's to launch a wing brand that's only available on third party called it's I think it's it's just wings and um, it's become a three million dollar a week business for them what the smaller and independent operators need to look at is where you have excess capacity so in my case as an example I'm a sandwich operator I'm very much lunch centric could I pull in somebody else's product or could I create a virtual restaurant or ghost kitchen to use my excess capacity at night to sell some other product that's not under my brand. So, you know, everybody's jumping in the wing game and the chicken game. That seems to be hot. But there are other products that you can buy. Uh, WowBow is, is one that comes to, to mind with me that you can actually license their product and sell it. as on third party or locally. So you have essentially a kind of a ghost kitchen for their product. I've seen Fazoli's launch wings and I think they've, they were going to do it as a separate concept. Now they're just bringing it in house. So the, the smart operators are just trying to figure out how to leverage excess capacity and sell another product that the guest wants that the guest is using through third party delivery platforms and generate more sales and more revenue because even if you have to pay the third party fees 70% of something's better than 100% of nothing
1: off premise was an opportunity before the pandemic but it's kind of become a necessity now why do you think that is
0: well the the obvious reason is is twofold one a lot of restrictions have shut down indoor dining so when you can't even have customers come into your restaurants or you can have them in limited capacity, your sales have, have taken a huge hit, if not gone all the way to zero. So you have to be able to do that. The second piece is this is where the customer was heading already. And the customer, the groups that were already having this in process, could they didn't even need to pivot. They just needed to accelerate faster what they were doing. The, the pandemic has really forced restaurants to have a an effective off-premise strategy to drive business. I, I really suggest everybody, if you're not on third party, you have to get on third party, but then you need to wean the customer off of that. And you have to have, in a lot of cases, uh, some menu changes because a, a group meal, feed a family of four, make it easy so the customer can just quote-unquote hit the easy button and order a fajita dinner for four versus having to go online and and try and figure out what to order at your restaurant for four different people and those kind of things. They want it simple. They want it quick. They want it right. They want some good quality. They understand it's going to take a little while. They understand it's not going to quite taste as good as in the restaurant. But the ones that are doing this right are figuring out how to put heating instructions on their packaging or when the customer comes to pick it up, telling them, hey, call home, put the oven on 450. And when you get home, pop this in it for five minutes so that it's going to taste as good as it would in the restaurant. They're doing those little things to really ensure that their brand is represented in the household from a food quality standpoint as good as it would be as if they were eating in the
1: restaurant. And that's going to bring the guests back.
0: Correct. People are ordering from brands they trust. And when I say that they have to be first and foremost on sanitation and safety around COVID, they have to be frictionless and contactless as possible. They have to be accurate and the food has to be high quality and it's ready on time. And and again those things are more critical they've always been critical in the restaurant business but they're ultra critical now because at all, in off premise the food's eaten away from the restaurant and I can't find out how they liked it Smart brands, and I, as an example, I do 80% of my business through the drive through about 10% via third-party and online ordering and 10% in my restaurant. I actually use two different survey methods, one for my drive through and one that's automated for my online orders so that anybody that goes through the drive through has a little card in there to tell me how their, their order was. Anybody that does an online order gets an email from me automated so I can at least tell the customer, how did we do I get a lot of feedback. Most of it is, hey, you forgot A or B. Overall, it was great, but it took too long. While I hate hearing those things, I love hearing those things because I instantaneously get back to the guests because I get an alert on my phone, and I win them back quickly. They understand we're not going to be perfect. The brands that are on top of the guest service, and the the guest service has changed dramatically and off-premise, those are the brands that are going to continue to win.
1: How important is local and being local and being part of the community where the brand is?
0: You know, I think local people want to support their local businesses and they've seen all the... The news out there about how the independents are struggling and they're going to close. And the thing I always urge people to get them to understand is no different. I'm I'm a franchisee of a national brand, but, but I'm locally owned and operated. And so the operators need to be out there involved in the chamber, letting people know this is a locally owned business because the community wants to support their own. And so, the more you can do to be involved, get the messaging out there, let people know, hey, I'm a local business, even though I'm a, a franchisee of a large chain. I think that's critical.
1: And getting the message out there is social media one of the better ways to do that now, based on the immediacy of it.
0: Well, social media is the easiest, and but again, it's it's people feel like they're not experts in it; they're scared to do it. You know, getting a Facebook page, Google my business. Uh, you know, being on Yelp and Twitter and a lot of the you know, Instagram and those kind of things, we've seen a lot of local businesses do extremely well around those things by by staying engaged with the consumer. And those are the kind of things that we need to make sure that we're doing as operators to be successful.
1: Last question. Um, what is your outlook for the restaurant industry in 2021?
0: Well, it's... I can't imagine. I, I never imagined COVID lasting this long, and and we're right in the midst of this thing spiking up again. So it's obviously going to to last longer, and so it, it, those people that were waiting for off-premise to that that groundswell to go away, it's not going to. So I think the in the 2021, we're going to see the the smart survive, the smart thrive, and those that don't get on this off-premise quickly are going to really struggle to even stay open because, again, as you see states close back restaurants and all the dining, that that really hurts us in the industry. But if we have an off-premise strategy, we can get through it.
1: So off-premise, if you're not doing something now, get on the bandwagon now.
0: Yeah, yesterday. I mean, there's that old saying, the best time to plant a tree was 20 years ago. The second best time is today. You know The the best time to have your off-premise strategy plotted was 9 to 12 months ago. And the second best time is today. If you're not doing something right now quickly, and the good news is with technology, it can be done. You can be up and running in a matter of days with an off-premise strategy so that you can at least start through your local community efforts, telling people how they can order from you and promoting new products and those kind of things. It doesn't take a lot of money and it doesn't take a lot of time. You just have to have a strategic approach to it and know what you're doing. And that's where we believe we can help restaurants is in that space.
1: Thank you so much.
0: I appreciate it. Thanks for having me, Barbara.